Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. So, if I were to ask you, uh, is, how would you characterize yourself? Or if someone were to, to describe you, how would they characterize you? Uh, some of us are introverted, some of us are extroverted. Some of us are expressive, and some of us are not as expressive. Um, some of us are uh, funny, and some of us are serious. You know, we're all a mix of those things. Um, some of us are maybe tend a little bit more to anxiousness and uh, orderliness, and maybe some of us are more uh, impulsive. Um, you know, there, there are different words to describe our demeanor and our character. How would you describe yourself? How would your kids or your spouse or a close friend describe you? Now, if I were to ask you, in his humanity, how would you characterize or describe the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I know theologically, we can describe his uh, characters as, as part of the Godhead. But from the gospel accounts, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how would you describe Jesus? What character qualities would stand out to you as you were to describe Jesus? Anybody want to just venture a few, and I'll be glad to repeat them. I'll, yes, Jerry? Pardon? Humble. Humble. Thank you, Jerry. Somebody else. Anybody else? Yes, back there. Determined. Is that what you said? Very good. Determined. Compassionate. Certainly. Faithful. All right. Good. Anything else? Brave. Yes. Brave. Certainly. Some. Pardon? Patient. Very patient. Good. Steve. Loving. Okay. We got we got two votes for loving. Betty. What? Forgiving. So I think of all. Yes. Kathy. True. Nice to have Kathy back with us in church today. It's been a little while here, Kathy. Good to have you with us. True. Truthful. Non-wavering. So good. So there's a lot of... Now, how would you describe John the Baptist? Once you know of the gospel accounts, think back a little bit, how would you describe John the Baptist? These are our two main characters in our, in our uh, biblical text today from Mark 1. Any thoughts on that? Pardon? A big confrontational. Who warned you, you brood of vipers, to come out here and be <laughs> baptized by me, okay? Not a way to win friends and influence Pharisees and scribes. <laughs> Bold. Did you say it now? Bold. Radical. Yeah, anybody that eats locusts and wild honey and uh, wears, you know, those kind of garments is a bit radical, okay? How about over here? Anybody over here on this side got any thoughts on John the Baptist? Authoritative. Interesting, comparing these two individuals. Let's look at, you know, let me ask you this. Think back on the various, maybe you've seen films of Jesus Christ. You know, there's the greatest story, you know, going back a ways. There's the Jesus film, which incidentally has been used all over the world uh, in missionary settings with uh, different translations uh, to bring people to Christ. And people in, go out in the most remote places and set up a portable projector and a, and a, sheet of, and a, and a bed sheet and show the film 
Jesus, and, and, uh, and people have come to Christ, thousands of people. Maybe you've seen that account. Um, think back to the, maybe if you grew up in a church setting, your Sunday school stories and your, your, uh, the pictures of my era, the flannel graph story and the slide, the film strips, <laughs> the film strips. Let me ask you this. Has anybody ever seen a picture or a movie of Jesus sprinting? Huh? Can you think of it? Have you ever seen a picture of Jesus even running? I got to think about that. I can't ever think of ever seeing a picture of Jesus running. Or even that he's in a hurry. And in fact, in the Hollywood presentations and in the film strips and now in the videos, generally Jesus is quite patient, pretty serene. Everything's pretty calm. Now, there are times that Jesus was a bit confrontational, like turning over the money changers and driving them out with whips, also accusing the Pharisees and scribes of their hypocrisy. But when we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't get this picture of somebody that's in this rush. And yet this morning, as we go to the Gospel of Mark, there's a word that really stands out. And I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. So this between now and, and Easter, we are going to be studying together as a church family the Gospel of Mark. So in Sunday school, we have Sunday school classes for all ages. And next Sunday, I want to remind you, we're going to start the teaching right at the, right at the beginning. So right at 9.30, 9.35, we're going to be into the Word teaching and have our uh, sharing time afterward. And uh, everybody from the children, the youth, to adults are going to be studying Mark together. And that's why we've given you some... Uh, discussion questions. We suggested a reading plan for you. And in our morning service as well, we're going to be centered in the Gospel of Mark for the next, uh, between now and the first week of April. And so we begin that study this morning. And we begin with verse 1, in the beginning of the Gospel, about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, just as the book of Genesis begins, in the beginning, the beginning of the story. This is the beginning of the story of the Lord Jesus Christ, his earthly ministry. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, and here's John, the urgent one, the, the baptizing one, the, the confrontational um, You know, you don't see pictures of John, you know, kind of sitting down comfortably and people coming to him. You always see him in action, doing things and preaching. And he says he preached the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem. So this is a big deal. This is not a, a, a minor event. This is a huge deal. People are coming in droves out to the Jordan River. And they went out to him confessing their sins. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He was a wilderness guy. He lived in the wilderness, and he ate the, these things from the wilderness. He dressed like he was from the wilderness. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I. The thongs of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And thus begins the account of the Gospel of Mark. 
And it begins with Matthew and Luke begin as we've just celebrated the, the Advent season and Christmas. They begin with the stories of the birth of Christ. Mark goes right to the action of Christ as an adult of his public ministry. And he begins with John the Baptist, and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, and talks about the, the coming Messianic kingdom. And he begins with this account of one from the wilderness who is coming to prepare the way, a voice of one in the wilderness, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3 and Isaiah 40 are both quoted by Mark here in this account. John comes preaching a baptism of repentance. It's important. It's urgent. It's, it's non, it's, 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 there's not, nothing to be compromised. Either you come and do it or you don't. You don't come out and, and, and debate and talk to John and discuss it. He, he's doing it. He's preparing. He's getting ready. And it's interesting. There's a word in the Gospel of Mark that is very important to his gospel. It occurs 41 times in his gospel, and it actually occurs 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 times in this first chapter. And when a word occurs that many times in one chapter, a specific word, it generally is there for a reason and sets a tone and kind of sets the pace for the book. And I want to show you this, and I'm going to read from the the New King James because it, it translates it a little bit more consistently than some of the other translations. And I want you to see this. In verse 10 of John, well, look at verse 9. It came to pass in those days. We've already read the first part. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan, and immediately, and this is our word, 41 times in the Gospel of Mark, immediately, euthos in the Greek, immediately, Coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, whom I, in whom I am well pleased. Verse 12, Immediately the Spirit drove him, that is Jesus Christ, into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. In verse 18, as he calls the fishermen to him. And in verse 16, we have the story of Simon uh, and, and his brother Andrew fishing. These, these, these men, these were businessmen. These were men who, they ran a good business. Fishing was a good business on the Sea of Galilee. It was a staple for the diet in that area. In fact, you go to the Sea of Galilee today and you will still eat, uh, they call it uh, St. Peter's fish that comes out of that, that sea. And these men ran, this, this, these were, this was a family business, just like some of you that run family business. They had boats, they had equipment, they had taxes, they had bills to pay, they had hired people working for them. It was a business, and it was a good business. And Jesus called these two men. And you'll notice in verse 18, when he calls them to be, in, in verse 17, I'll make you fishers of men, they immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little, little further from there, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets. Verse 20, and immediately he called them, and they left their net. They left their, they left their father, and they left the nets. They left the boat immediately, and the hired servants. You notice that? The hired servants. This was a good business, and they went after Jesus. Four individuals, just like that. Immediately, they left their business, and they went with Jesus. 
Verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. He didn't run. He wasn't anxious. But Mark is telling us something, the urgency of this situation. Immediately, he went to the synagogue. He went in there where where they were holding worship service, where they were teaching from God's Word. Immediately, he went in there, and it says, he began to teach them. In that synagogue, in verse 23, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, in verse 23, now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, and in that verse is also the word, it doesn't come out in the translation here, is also the word, Immediately, there was a man immediately in that synagogue with this unclean spirit. And in verse 28, as Jesus rebuked this unclean spirit and it left him, and the people were amazed in verse 27, for what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the regions around Galilee. Verse 29, now as soon as they come out of the synagogue and they immediately entered the house of Simon and Andrew, the word is also in the original language. It doesn't come out of translations so much. But the word immediately is there again. And finally in verse 30, but Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, was sick with a fever and they told her, they told him about her immediately. They told him at once. And in your translations, it sometimes is straightway. Sometimes it's at once. Sometimes it's a little softer, but in every one of those cases, in each one of those verses, is the word immediately. And John is setting for, or Mark is setting for us the tone of this gospel, the story of Jesus Christ, of the urgency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The urgency of this story. And I want you to think about this this morning as we consider the, the gospels. You read through this first chapter. And you think of, for example, in verse 9, I mean, in, at verse 12, at that time, at once, immediately, the Spirit sent him out into the desert. He was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. You think of the urgency of this. Think of the urgency of the spiritual battle as, as in fact, in the, other, in the other Gospels, you get the impression when we read three specific temptations in the other Gospels that Mark doesn't specifically mention, but the context of the language suggests that all 40 days he was being tempted. That he was out in the wilderness and Satan in, his, in his, this spiritual battle where Satan is doing all he can for 40 days to get Jesus to sin. If he can get him to sin, he will foil God's plan of redemption because Jesus has to be the perfect unblemished sacrifice to pay for our sins. And for 40 days is this intense, urgent battle for Jesus Christ, you could say for the soul in the sense of of trying to get him to sin in the wilderness. You come to the stories of of, uh, the driving out the demon in verse 21. They come to Capernaum in the Sabbath, and Jesus went in the synagogue where it says he immediately began to teach. The people were amazed They were amazed at his teaching. In 23, just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do we have to do, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus says. Be quiet. Interesting, in our class this morning, and as we're teaching this in Sunday school class, when the comments on the, the, why, why did Jesus say be quiet? 
And, and part of it was it was not time for his revelation as Messiah yet. And someone suggested that because Satan is the father of all lies, the Bible tells us, and all those demons that work with him are the fathers of all lies, that Jesus wouldn't have from the lips of a demon this proclamation. It was an interesting thought. Be quiet. This urgency, this urgency of the gospel, the urgency of all these stories, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, in verse, 20, verse 28, where it says this news about him spread over the whole region of Galilee. This morning as we begin this gospel study, this is an urgent story. This is an urgent story. This is an important story. I mean, think about the history of the world and the fact that Jesus Christ, God himself, came to our earth, was born as a babe in Bethlehem as we've celebrated this last month, Grew up and now it begins his ministry. Three years of ministry. Three years is all. Just three years. Think of how short three years is. How fast has it gone since 2012 to 2015? Three years of ministry. And what he is going to do and what he is going to say and what he is going to accomplish on the cross of Calvary is an urgent matter because it is a matter of life and death. It is a matter of eternal life or eternal death. It is a matter of forgiveness for sins or no forgiveness for sins. It is an urgent story. And every aspect, every moment, every second that God is on earth as a human, fully God and fully man, Everything about that story is an urgent story. And the Gospel of Mark includes for us the urgency of the Gospel. And 41 times he will use this term immediately, 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 immediately. How urgent is the Gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives and our ministry today? Is it an urgent matter? Is there an urgency is there an urgency about teaching the gospel? Is there an urgency about teaching our young people? Is there an urgency about sharing the good news, the story of Jesus Christ? We are going to see this as we go through the gospel of Mark. We are going to see people that Jesus encounters in, every, in, in so many cases of, 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 of you're, you are saved because of your faith. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice, and even Pharisees and scribes come to him, some by night, like, like Nicodemus. They come at night. He's a religious leader, and Jesus says, you're a religious leader, and you don't even understand this. You have to be born again. It was an urgent matter. What do you think about this? What is your decision? Follow me to, the, to those fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. As Jesus, and, and they probably, I'm sure, have already heard about him. Maybe they've heard him speak. He is, he is headquartered. He is based in Capernaum, this little village that's on the northwest corner of, this, of the Sea of, of, of Galilee, which we have visited. When you, go to, when you go to Capernaum, it's one of my favorite places in, in Palestine and Israel, because in Capernaum, you get to walk and you get to go in there and sit down in the synagogue. It's, it's open. There's no ceiling but it's the ruins of the synagogue. And even though it's, it sits above the one that Jesus actually was in, we know that. We know that the one that Jesus was in is, is below it. It's been built up over it, but it's the exact same floor plan. 
in this exact same place. And you sit there in that synagogue on that stone bench and these ruins around you, but you can sit on the bench and you can sit right there where Jesus came and he, and he preached and where these stories took place. And you can look out just to, the, just, just to the east and the south a bit, and there is the house where Peter's mother-in-law, we, there's a good evidence that that was the house, that was, that was Peter's home, right there on the, sea of, on the Sea of Galilee. And in this little village, this, this fishing village, but it was, it was a busy, busy place because of the fishing during this time. And Jesus, these, these, two, these two men that are, that are taking care of their business, and Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, come. And they have to make a choice. It's urgent. They have to make a choice. It's not up for discussion, either come or not. But of course, by God's divine plan, they came. Two more fishermen, they came. Come and follow me. You know, the gospel is an urgent matter. Gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been in the hospital this past week, and as Gary mentioned this morning, we have people right now we call end-of-life care, and dear B. Olander, who has been part of our church family, and uh, she's down at Northwest Hospital right now, and uh, she is, she's, she's at the end of her life. It's end-of-life care. It's in God's hands. It could be any time. We, we don't know. But, you know, it was, such, it was, it was, it was wonderful on uh, New Year's Day when we went and saw her, and she was, in, uh, in, you know, just not responsive, and yet, when we prayed with her and read from Scripture, and she opened her eyes, and the biggest grin and smile on her face, I tell you, what a gift for the new year. What a gift uh, to see that. And you realize, here is a person that, that, that we're not afraid, and she's not afraid. Um, we're not worried about where she's going to spend eternity. Sure, it's sad. Sure, it's sad. That it's never the right time to lose a loved one, especially a mother. But but there's no fear because the urgency of the gospel has been settled in her, in her heart and she is ready. It's an urgent matter. It would be a very urgent matter to think of this situation with no hope, no hope at all. It's an urgent matter. If you go to, if you go to the book of Acts, one of my favorite accounts of this urgency, you think of the Apostle Paul's ministry as he traveled and you go to the book of Acts and in Acts chapter 26 as the Apostle Paul, as a, as a prisoner of Rome, has the opportunity to speak to the Roman officials. And, and, as, he's, and as he is speaking to, to Festus, the, the, the Roman official, a governor, someone who has power over him, is who represents the most powerful nation on earth, Rome. And as he is, and as he is speaking, this is in Capernaum, this is in, um, on, on the Sea of Galilee before he leaves in Caesarea, and the Roman governor for, for Judea. And as he speaks to him, and he, and he brings the gospel, and he, and he has a chance to give his story, and he, and, he, and he talks and he says in verse 23 that the Christ, he tells him, would suffer and first rise from the dead, will proclaim light to his own people and to Gentiles. At this point, the governor, Festus, interrupts him. And he says, Paul, you're out of your mind. You're crazy, Paul. You're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. I mean, he thought because he was such a scholar and he studied so much that he'd gone over the edge. You know, you're crazy. And Paul says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. I can speak freely to him. I am convinced none of this has escaped his notice. 
because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Paul is begging them. It's urgent. He's going to be leaving. These men have eternity to face. And look what Agrippa says to him, verse 28. Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. And as, they, as, as these two Roman leaders discuss this at the very end of verse 20, 31, this man has not done anything wrong that deserves death or imprisonment. He could have been set free if he had not appealed to, we'll, we'll appeal to Caesar. We'll, we'll talk to you later. But they never did. It was urgent. And there's an urgency in Paul's ministry and in Peter's ministry and in James' ministry and in the, the apostles. There is an urgency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I wonder today, how much, how urgent is the gospel of Jesus Christ for me and for you as we share the message of salvation? In the gospel, or in the book of 2 Corinthians, in Paul's epistle to 2 Corinthians, to the church at Corinth, he says this. Let me just read this to you in verse 15. And he says, For we are, the, to, we are to God the aroma of Christ, the aroma, the smell of Christ, among those who are being saved. And those who are being perishing, to the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? The gospel of Jesus Christ is an aroma. And when all is said and done, it's either the smell of life or the smell of death. That's what the Bible says. It's urgent. There is an urgency to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we go back to the Gospel of Mark, and we want to see the balance to this. Why do we never see Jesus running? If this is so urgent, if the Gospel and his ministry is so urgent, why isn't he in a hurry? Why isn't he running? Why isn't he anxious? And we see this, we see this in, in two cases here. It is so typical. You notice in verse 35 of Mark chapter 1, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I mean, think of this. He's being pressed already on all sides. Everybody has to see him. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. People are rejoicing, and the news is spreading. They're coming to hear him. Demons are, even demons are crying out, we know who you are. And there's this, this crush and this rush and this urgency about everything that's happening. And, and Jesus gets up and tries to, to sneak away, if you will, to a quiet place where he can pray to God the Father. That should say something to us about the importance of our prayer lives. That if even Jesus Christ, Son of God, fully God and fully man, that he needed to take time to quietly and to, without rush, Spend time in prayer with the Father. But this next story in verse 40, this is, this, this, this is why we, we, get, we don't see Jesus as this anxious, rushing around, running person. A man with leprosy came to him. A man with leprosy. Now, do you understand what this means in the Old, in the old Testament, in the Old World? This this, you, know, you know, I was thinking about this. It might be akin. We're reading now some of the stories of some of the people who, who, who went to Africa and worked with Ebola patients. 
some of the nurses and doctors, and we've been reading some of their stories now as they've, they've come home. Why, why did you do this? Because it was the right thing to do. I mean, would you think twice about that? Would you think twice about going and actually treating and serving with this disease that was, that was is so dangerous, so deadly? Uh, this is leprosy. This is a dangerous, deadly disease. Uh, in the Old Testament, it, it, it covered all sorts of skin infections. But it also covered what we, what we call leprosy. It's a disease that eats away your body and it will kill you. And in fact, it was, it was, it was so degrading, it was so dangerous that you go back, and let me just read this to you from the Old Testament. Um, among, there's a whole chapter on how, how they were to be treated and how they were to, to, um, uh, to go to the priest if, if, if the skin, any kind of skin disease was cured. To the rabbis in Jesus' time, the rabbis in Jesus' time, to cure somebody of leprosy would have been the same as raising somebody from the dead. That's how they looked at it. It was that impossible. It was, it was that dangerous. It was, it was that unknown that if you could claim to have cured somebody of leprosy, you would just as well have raised them from the dead. And even in the Old Testament, a person with, with, with leprosy, it says in Leviticus, the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkept, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out wherever he goes, unclean, unclean, as long as he has the infection. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. You did not touch lepers. You did not talk to lepers. They could come to synagogue, but if they came to synagogue, they had to sit behind a screen that the rabbis established. They were outcasts. You had nothing to do with them. And this leper dares to come to Jesus, a clean man, a holy man, a righteous man, a prophet from their perspective at this point. And he comes to him, verse 40, and he begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And this urgent story is immediately an immediacy of the gospel. This leper comes and begs Jesus. And look what he does. He's filled with compassion. He takes time. He takes the time. His heart is filled with compassion. We, we will see this in the Lord Jesus' life. The rich young ruler that came to him, what must I do to be saved? And, and Jesus looked at him and says he looked at him with compassion. It wasn't, he loved him. He had compassion on him. He said, look it, sell all that you have. Give it to poor and, and come and follow me. And the man couldn't do that. But Jesus loved him. He had compassion on him. Jesus looked out over the people of Israel and he says, they are like, they are like lost sheep. He looked at the crowds that were hungry after listening to him speak. I was talking with Teresa on the way to church this morning. We were thinking about this. How is it possible that 5,000 people could have heard him speak without amplification? You're listening to speakers in my microphone. 5,000 people plus, and they could hear him teach. And it was late, and he had compassion on them, and he said, we must feed them. Disciples said, send them away. It's, it's time to go. 
the, the women, the, the, and the, maybe the, the young teenagers bring the babies to Jesus. They bring the children to Jesus. And his disciples are in a hurry. It's immediate. It's urgent. No, we got important. Send them away. And Jesus says, how dare you do this? You let them come to me. Don't you ever do that again. Don't you ever send those children away again. And Jesus looks at this leper. And he has compassion on him. And he does the unthinkable according to the culture at this time. He does an unheard of act of compassion. He reaches out his hand. Notice that. He could have just spoke it. He could have just said, I mean, he can cast demons out, right? He could have, I mean, he, he could have just said, you're clean. But he reached out his hand and he touched him. And he broke every law in the, in the Mosaic law by touching this unclean leper. He reached out and he touched him. And we see this in Jesus' ministry. He touches people. He takes time. He has the compassion. He has the patience. And this is why you don't see him running in the movies and stories because this is, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves him and he touches him. And he touches this leper. And he says to him, be clean. Be clean. And, in the, and when it says here in our translation, immediately, immediately, there's the urgency. The leprosy left him, and, it, and he was cured. And in the Greek, it's, it's what it's, it's, that's what it says. It, doesn't, it, it specifically says the leprosy, it's like the leprosy got up and left. <laughs> that's what it says. The leprosy got up, left his body, and went on its way, and it was gone. And just like that, this man whose body was ravaged with this disease, who was unclean, who couldn't wear the same clothes as anybody else, who had to cry out unclean, who, who, was, who, who was breaking every possible norm of the day to come and even approach Jesus and dare ask him something, and Jesus touches him, and he's clean. He's whole. He's cured. And from the rabbi's perspective, this, this was as good as raising him from the dead. But Jesus also tells him, he says, now listen, go to the priest, verse 43, look at it. Go to the priest. And he gives him a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, verse 44, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded you for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Because Jesus said, I did not come to break the law. I did not come to set the Mosaic law I came to what? Fulfill it. I came to fulfill the law. He was Israel's Messiah. And he came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to break the law. But there were times where compassion and love trumped, if you will, the Mosaic law. He dared to heal a man on the Sabbath and healed his hand. You know, Amanda, when pray for Amanda, broke her wrist. Amanda's a piano player. We're going to pray for Amanda. And, and, he, and he dared to heal that, that crippled hand on the Sabbath, and they accused him and said, wait, you, wait a minute, you're working on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, oh, is it better to, 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 to heal, to show compassion or not? But he didn't come to break the law. He came to fulfill it. And he told the man, go to the priest. Show him you're clean. Bring a sacrifice. Do what Moses prescribed, and you can go back into society. Well, the man didn't obey, unfortunately, you notice in verse 45, he went out instead and he began to talk freely. I don't know if we get mad at this guy. 
What do you think? Are you mad at this guy? Come on, you're here this morning, right? What do you think? Are you, how do you feel about this guy? Jesus sternly said, don't do this. And he goes right out and he spreads the news and he starts talking. And as a result, Jesus couldn't go into the synagogue anymore. He, he had to stay outside and people had to come to him. I don't know. I mean, if you were cured of leprosy, would you keep your mouth shut? The guy was as good as dead. But Jesus did ask him not to say anything. Well, I'll, I'll leave that up to the Lord, you know. I'm going to give the guy a little compassion. <laughs> Listen, friends. The gospel is urgent. It's a matter of life and death. It is. But at the same time, you know, we are told to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. The Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. We are, we are to be Christ-like. We are Christ ones. We are Christian. That's what it means, Christ ones. And if we are to follow and, and live after his model that he left us, then we must find that balance in our life. The urgency of the gospel work and the patience and the compassion that takes time to reach out and to touch people to spend time, to listen, and to minister. You know, I already read to you the Apostle Paul as he is with the Roman governors and saying, I, I, wish, I, I wish I could persuade you in such a short time. But this is the same Apostle who tells us in, 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 the, in, the, in his epistle to the, to the Galatians, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. But he goes on to say in verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, we studied this last year in Galatians, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, not just to your friends, not just to the church, not just to Christians. Let us do good to all people, and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let us do good to all people. The urgency of the gospel and the compassion and the patience of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I think that we can be kind of become intimidated by, you know, there are people who have the gift of evangelism. You know that? That's a spiritual gift. The Bible talks about that. We are all to do the work of evangelists. As pastors, Paul tells, as Paul tells Timothy, do the work of evangelists. But there are people who are gifted evangelists. And they, they have a crusade. We were talking this morning also, I remember going to the Greg Laurie crusade here in town a few years back. Some of you have been to Billy Graham crusade. You've been to different... And, 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 a, and, a, and, a, and a person, an evangelist, gets up and just starts talking in, in, in less time than I've maybe talked here. And all of a sudden, hundreds, maybe thousands of people come forward. That's amazing. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's also, the, there's also the, those people who have that ability to sit down to somebody in the airplane next to them, and by the time they fly from Minneapolis to Seattle, have led them to the Lord, the complete strangers. And sometimes we get a little intimidated by that. I think, wow, I just, you know, I'm not, it's, it's hard for me. I'm not quite that conversant. I'm not quite. But you know what? In every case, 
In every case where someone has come to Christ like that, whether, you know, people have been sitting here in this sanctuary where, where I or our previous pastors have given a simple presentation of the gospel and people receive Christ. I've talked to people and say, I received Christ sitting over here in service. But in every case, in every case, there was somebody along the way who had been patient with them, whom God has used to be compassionate, to show the love of Christ, to be there, to reach out and to touch and to speak. And I want to encourage you, friends, this week, as we begin this study of Mark together, in your life this week, God is going to bring people across your paths. They might be in your own family. They might be your own children. They might be your neighbor. They may be somebody at work, another student, somebody you see every day. And there may be something that you say or do to simply reach out and touch with that patient, compassionate love of Christ that God is going to use in his time to urgently bring them to eternal life and forgiveness for sins. Don't ever underestimate that. God is using every one of us. And there are going to be people in your path this week that are not going to be in my path and vice versa. And like the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are going to be followers of him, God has given us the opportunity to balance that urgency of the gospel with that patient, compassionate love that's willing to reach out and to touch maybe even a leper that no one else wants to touch. It's easy to love lovable people. It's easy to love you. You're lovable people. But there are people who it's not so easy to love. And if God brings one of those into your path this week, maybe you are the one to reach out and to touch. And let, the God, let God and the Holy Spirit do their work in his time and meet the urgency immediately for the gospel of the good news of salvation. As we close this service today and we sing our final hymn, I do want to let you know it is urgent. And if you are here today and God has been working in your life and God has been opening your heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm not asking you if you've already accepted Christ. We don't, we don't believe you've lost your salvation. But if you honestly can say, you know, God has been working in my heart. I'm, I'm understanding this. I'm seeing this. I've seen it in other people. And I've seen the results of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died on the cross Cross the Calvary, he paid for your sin. He rose from the dead. He paid for your sin. And he offers you salvation and forgiveness for sins if you will place your faith in him. If you will receive him and receive his work on the cross, if you would acknowledge to God, I am a sinner. And I cannot save myself. But I believe the Bible when it says that Jesus died on the cross and he paid for my sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever will what? Huh? Believe on him shall have everlasting life. And I offer that to you today, friends. If the Holy Spirit is speaking in your heart today, right now, and you know it, it is urgent. It is urgent. 
and it may be decision time for you. And I have yet to meet somebody, I have yet to meet somebody in my life who has regretted, who has regretted receiving Christ as their Savior. Let's close our service. John, sing our final hymn, and I invite you to come and join us next Sunday morning for Sunday School. And we're going to continue our study into Mark chapter 2. And we invite you back this evening. We have the series on financial peace. And we'll be doing a series here on dispensational, understanding dispensational theology and Bible teaching in our evening service as well. I invite you to that. Prayer. And if, if that's you today, friend, if the Holy Spirit's calling, Jesus invites you home. He invites you to what he had originally intended that we would have a relationship with him, that we would be part of his family. He would be our Heavenly Father. And I invite you today to receive Christ as your Savior. It is urgent. It is urgent. And I invite you to make that decision right where you stand today. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this place we can come today. And Lord, I, I just pray for me, the leaders in this church, for every person here, that you would help us be those people who have a sense of urgency of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that life is short. There's a reason it's called temporal. It will end. And the gospel is urgent for everyone. And Father, we also pray that like our Lord Jesus Christ, that people would see us as ones who have the patience and the time and the compassion and the love to stop, to listen, to touch, and to share. As the Apostle Paul told the Thessalonians, that we were careful to share with you not just the gospel, but to share our very lives with you. I'm thinking this morning of our children. I'm thinking of those little ones over in the other building, and those in our children's church and children's choir program today. That we as parents and grandparents as friends and family and people who have an interest in them, that we would take time, that they would see in us the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you would use that to draw them to yourself to receive Christ as their Savior. Dismiss us now with the blessing of your peace and presence as we leave this place. In Christ's name we pray.